Hey guys, welcome to Rankin' Vile, the podcast ranking every horror movie ever made. And this is Ryan. And this is Quincy. Quincy, it's been 84 years since we've done an episode. Yeah, uh, this thing called getting a, a cold that just wouldn't go away happened. Yeah, I, I feel like it's been bet- uh, between that and... Um, for So for longtime uh, listeners of the show... Um, our, our quasi mascot for the show, uh, my best friend in the world, uh, Tinkerbell, the elderly pit bull, um, passed away a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I think in the weeks following, like, I, you know, grief is a weird thing that I'm still figuring out what the shape of it looks like and what my day-to-day life looks like without a being that I've been around for a decade, but suffice it to say, was not in a place to record a podcast about horror movies (laughs) for about a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, but we're back, and thank you all for for hanging in there with us while we're going through this uh, unprecedented <laughs> time. <laughs> Truly, so Quincy, how's uh, how's your week going? What, what what have you been What have you been up to this last week? Well, I fell into uh, my um, Wikipedia hole tonight because mm. I started reading about released wrestlers from WWE. <laughs> God, they, it, uh, since the start of the pandemic, they've released, like, what, 80-something wrestlers off the payroll? Yeah, so the theory uh, for all the tin hat wearers like myself is that Vince McMahon is going to sell WWE. Oh. So he wants it to be as hyper-profitable as possible, because everyone who gets a pink slip, it's it's because of, quote, budget cuts, unquote. Yeah. So I think they're trying to winnow the roster down to like five people and then show like, see, it's a money making machine. <laughs> Listen, sometimes we have Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns. Sometimes we have Roman Reigns versus Seth Rollins. We mix it up. <laughs> like, honestly, like that's the wild thing is when they, you know, sort of claim that it was because of budget cuts. Like, that makes it sound like they're hard up for money and they're, you know, tightening their belts when really it's like, actually, they made record profits during the pandemic. Like, it's that they're framing it as budget cuts and not, well, we snapped up all of the indie talent we possibly could for the sake of snapping them up. Didn't uh, Creative had nothing for them, and then we fired them. It doesn't sound as nice, I think. Yeah, I've actually been getting super into AEW. Oh, yeah. And um, hoping that AEW will pick up quite a few of the uh, talent once their no-compete clauses run up. Which, as you know, like, one of the wild things uh, about the no-compete clause thing is, like, you know, so don't get me wrong, you're an independent contractor if you're with WWE, but you're an independent contractor who also can't compete uh, anywhere else for a period of time after you work there. It's just... It's fucking, it's fucking absurd. Honestly, I love AEW, but like, there's, I don't know. It's sometimes the promotion, I, I, I get angry at it because it's like I know that it can do better in terms of like pushing its women's division and not, you know, having dudes like Jay Lethal and the Briscoes coming around. Like, yeah, it could do a lot better, but uh, and then commentary. Uh, my favorite oof. game is. Uh, Stick up for Excalibur slash get mad at another out of touch thing Jim Ross says. Yeah, okay, okay. The thing is that Jim Ross, uh, there was, I think it was a match with the Lucha Brothers, and one of them did a Super Rana, and Excalibur called it as a Super Rana, and there was just like a long pause, and Jim Ross says derisively, Super Rana. Like, he's just, (laughs) I I feel like Jim Ross always, it's like he's having a conversation with himself. Yeah, he straight up said to Excalibur, what is a Jujikatami? <laughs> I, 
I mean, so Jim Ross and, is the and baffled without everyman. missing a beat. Excalibur's like, it's a hold where you hold your arms this way and, and it locks. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> really, it's just Excalibur serves as a kind of Google for, for Jim Ross when he doesn't <laughs> understand things like Super Ranas. Um, it's, yeah. Um, so, holy shit, let's get into uh, the movie we're doing for this week. Um, Quincy, where did you, this is an Arrow release, I think, right? Yes, so Arrow has its own streaming service, and this is one of the newest additions to the Arrow channel. It is Phantom of the Mall, colon, Eric's Revenge. (laughs) Now, you said Arrow has their own streaming service, and I'm not going to lie to you. I had a moment of, God damn it, why is there another streaming service? (laughs) Um, Mostly because I just finally signed up for IWTV, and I've been watching, like, Beyond Wrestling for, like, the last couple of days. Um, but listen, I, I feel like my spirit was broken the moment I got Paramount Plus and just made peace with the fact that this is my life now. Listen, Paramount Plus has Next, the MTV dating show <laughs> where all of the narration is done in rhyming couplets. Uh, so. That's, that's true. Shit. All right. You've got me there. All right. So some streaming services are okay and, and we'll, be, <laughs> we'll be allowed to exist. Um, so Phantom of the Mall uh, from 1989 uh, this is now. I feel like in the late '80s, everybody was high on Phantom of the Opera, probably because of the Android Weber musical. I assume. Oh, absolutely! It's and this movie is no stranger to that. It, the first scene of the movie, is a prowler who is broken into a sports sporting goods store, and he's he's looting the sporting goods store, and he takes the head off of a mannequin. Yeah, it's now what, what's incredible about it is that like a lot of it is sort of shot like a Jalo film for the first half because you don't quite know what's going on. But it's also like, hi, movie Phantom of the Mall. I know that it's a fucking haint in the in the vents crawling around like you don't need to be coy. I know that it's somebody who's probably, you know, now there is also the thing of uh, the slightly ableist. Like if you have a physical deformity, this is evidence that you're going to like murder people or that you're evil somehow. Yeah, it's that very lazy storytelling of using the grotesque to show like a, a character flaw. Yeah. Now, what's incredible is that um, so uh, in this movie, uh, uh, the titular Eric, who has revenge, he makes a Phantom of the Opera mask from like a cross section of a mannequin head, which I think is pretty sharp. Yeah, it's pretty great. He takes a knife and just like chisels off the front of a mannequin's face and uses that as a mask, which owns bones it, it really does own bones now i uh, if you're um if listeners if you're retro trash like us you're going to adore this movie like this was filmed at the sherman oaks galleria which i just quincy i loved looking at stuff in this movie oh yeah it's such a great time capsule of 1989 <laughs> Yeah. Right down to Polly Shore's everything. Oh my god, Polly Shore in this movie. So this was uh I think this Oh, was... by the way, Polly Shore is in this movie. Oh, Polly Shore and Morgan Fairchild and Ken Faree are in this movie. Um Polly Shore, I think this was not quite him at the height of his weasel powers, right? Like he he hadn't done Encino Man or Biodome yet. Right, right. So he's still just a germinating weasel. <laughs> Yeah, he's a weaselet. Uh, his his mom owns the comedy store, and he just was allowed to sort of, yeah, exactly, germinate on, on the underside of entertainment. He um, plays a character named Buzz, um, 
and he is—he works at the frozen yogurt stand of the Sherman Oaks Galleria. I feel like you can smell this mall when you look at it. Oh yeah, it—it—it's all wood grain and neon. There's a bar slash club called like PIs, and it's like a. a <laughs> private eye themed bar <laughs> man that's what you want at the sherman hoax galleria um i think both both of us have worked at malls right oh yes for sure i think we worked at the same mall uh it, the uh, in uh clarksville oh yeah we both worked at the uh the governor square mall <laughs> woof yeah it's i worked there in the rivergate mall in gallatin tennessee and i feel like um, this this is a thing that dates this movie that I love very much is that a mall opening is a really big exciting thing and malls are a thing to still be like thought about and celebrated where now every time I go have to go to the mall for something I'm I feel like a baffled old man where I'm just like why the fuck am I at a mall I could just order this online what am I doing except I still go to Rivergate frequently and I'm just charmed by how terrible that mall is <laughs> yeah i worked at it the, is the worst <laughs> I, I worked at the walden books at rivergate uh, when <laughs> when that was because i'm 80 uh, 35 years old by the way uh, i just had my birthday so i'm now legal to run for president um <laughs> now uh, polly shore as a character is a prankster uh and he he likes putting fake appendages in people's yogurt yeah it's it's eyeballs and ears all the way down. Yeah, and I feel like that's the worst thing to be in a horror movie is the prankster character. Oh yeah, because you're gonna get got. Yeah, yeah. Like the the audience is just like praying for your death if you're up to all manner of like goofs and shenanigans. Um, the mayor of this town, Midwood, uh, is played by Morgan Fairchild, who has the most astounding collection of Easter colored pantsuits. Oh, they're they're the most powerful of power suits yeah she's got that bonnie tyler hair she has this huge like carnation pinned to her like pepto-bismol pink pantsuit it's just this movie is like a mean joke about the 1980s as made by somebody who really likes the 1980s yeah and it's like it's 89 so it's enough into the decade where they had seen everything going on and they're like hold on there's some problems (laughs) with american excess in the reagan era (laughs) There, yeah, yeah, which it makes sense that Ken Foray, who was um, the, the dude from uh, the original Dawn of the Dead, um, who plays a security guard in this movie. Um, now, I got to point out, I personally feel, and this is just me, mall security should not have billy clubs and handguns. Oh, no, not at all. They should definitely not have uh, any weapon at all. <laughs> Yeah, it's... I believe um, I have a friend who uh, one time was being chased by the the uh, mall security from the Governor Square Mall, and the guard said, "Stop, or I will throw my keys at you." That's the <laughs> level of force a mall security guard should have to have. You know no what? More, no less. <laughs> you know what? If you don't stop running, you are banned from Orange Julius, Mister. You will never, <laughs> you will never get an Orange Julius in this town again. Yeah, yeah. If you're mall security, you shouldn't be able to have a gun to menace anybody at, like, Sam Goody. Like, what are we doing? Um, but right off the top of this movie, there's a mall security guy who's murdered. Oh, yeah. Now, the thing is, um, the murders in this movie, let's get into that for a minute. We have 
Um, so Eric, the, 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 the phantom of the mall who scurries around in the vents like a rogue xenomorph for like most of this movie. Yeah. He's got like a weird apish lope to him. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He's like, yeah, kind of lopsided and kind of, yeah, shambly. Uh, and this, this security guard like follows him into the vent. What'd you do? If I'm a security guard and I watch somebody like shamble into a vent, you you know what? You go ahead and whatever you want to do in there is fine. I will wait for you to get out. Yeah. So we find out that this mall is in the process of being developed. It's supposed to be this great thing for this town. And uh, they're going to light a section of the mall model every time a new store opens, which is a crucial plot point in this film. Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible. Now, like, what, what, what's also amazing is that, like, this is filmed on location at the Sherman Oaks Galleria, which, by the way, I've been there. The Lush at Sherman Oaks Galleria, pretty good. They're very nice there. Um, but the all of the stores in this, this is a finished mall. Like, this could not more obviously be, like, hello, welcome to the Sherman Oaks Galleria, <laughs> uh, which is where they filmed fucking Chopping Mall. Like We have an American flag on every tier of the mall. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't even worry about it. This movie, yeah, it's Reagan's America, you know? Um, Eric uh, shreds this, this random mall security guy, or not even a security guy, I think he's like a like a handyman or a custodian at this mall who gets, he gets his dome shredded by a fan uh, in this vent. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fucked up. Like it's a lot. Yeah. And then we also learn that um, the owner of this mall is using Ken Faree as his uh, right hand man. And there's some, some hinky business going on besides the killer who we don't know why he's killing everyone in the mall. Oh yeah. Like the, the, the fix is in with uh, the, the mayor of the town and the owner of the mall. The owner of the mall looks like a dead ringer for Jordan Peterson. (laughs) Um, And the, you know, the mayor of the town with the pantsuits, they never totally elaborate on how they are in collusion with one another but it's apparently money-based, and the mayor has a stake in the mall, and there's some... It's something, 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 good for business, good for re-election, something, <laughs> something. <laughs> Which I love, because immediately when I see somebody in this pantsuit, I'm also like, business necktie mortgage taxes. Oh, there was a big politics. Like, it's great. I, you know, they, 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 tra- they, they gesture at, like, political intrigue in a way that's really charming. Um, so the main character of the movie, her name is Melody... Uh, and she, this actor is not great. No, she's not. She she shows up and she's like, hello, I am here to get a job at this American mall. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Uh, she is played uh, by a uh, an actor and model named Carrie Whitman, also known as Carrie Kennel. Um, I looked up uh, Carrie Kennel and found out something fascinating, which uh, she is a staunch animal rights supporter who... Get this, protested the National Hot Dog and Sausage Council's annual hot dog lunch on Capitol Hill in 2004. (laughs) Representing PETA and wearing plastic lettuce leaf bikinis, Kennel and fellow Playboy playmate Lauren Anderson, uh, Miss July 2002, sold vegetable hot dogs to members of Congress. Um, So she's been keeping busy post Phantom of the Mall. Good for her. Good Good to hear. So she gets a job... And we don't really know anything about her except she is 
pretty teenager who works at this mall. Yeah. And then we learn that her boyfriend, Eric, died in a mysterious fire. Yeah, they keep sort of gesturing to it. Uh, at one point, we get like an oddly long sex scene between uh, her and Eric, and then they like do this Freudian intercutting with the house burning down and a menacing figure dumping gasoline, which is fun. Yeah, so then through flashbacks, we finally learn that the mall manager set this teenage boy's house on fire and murdered him and his entire family so they could build the mall on the lot that his house was on. Right, because, uh, uh, you know, Eric and his family were, were holding out on them and didn't, you know, didn't want to sell the house. And so, you know, they that was the only way, apparently, was to... Um, hire the most conspicuous arsonist uh, in the history of arsonists. Uh, the sunglasses and earrings stays on, Ryan. <laughs> There's yeah. a point in this movie where this conspicuous arsonist goon is told to tone down his look, and he goes, no. Yeah, it's incredible, because, like, he, yeah, he's got the earring. It's this huge, dangling earring that uh, the uh, owner of the mall is, like, you know, he even sort of lampshades, like, Jesus, could you be any more fucking noticeable while you're running around doing doing my, my evil bidding? And he reaches to take the earring out, and the guy, like, snatches his hand, like, over my dead body, I'll take my dangly earring. <laughs> Which is just outstanding. It's a stance, like, I would rather die than take out my dangly 1989 earring now um, ryan in 1989 did your dad go through an earring phase or is that just a my dad thing oh no yeah my my dad was um i think my dad was a little bit too reagan-y uh in in the late 1980s um he did definitely and i think it's because my dad was also in the military um my dad definitely had like a gomez adams mustache until like my my uh early uh teen years um, it was, it was, it was one of those mustaches that I think, you know, they, they don't manufacture those kinds of mustaches anymore after 1989. No, they, they discontinued them, uh, after the great mustache <laughs> factory fire. Thanks. <laughs> thanks Reagan. Yeah. They privatized all the mustaches, you know, like, you know, it was, it was, it was a hard time. Um, now there's another cop in this movie who let's get into this. There is a greasy little pervert who is mall security and, you know, he, he mans the security cameras. And as you might imagine, uh, in a movie such as this, he has a camera set up in the women's locker room of, uh, is there a gym in this mall? You know, that place where employees get dressed in the mall locker room. Oh yeah. <laughs> the total thing that is definitely in every mall. <laughs> no, yeah. It's not, you know, it's you... just halls. <laughs> it's hallways. It's hallways that lead to fire exits. That's all that's back there behind the door. Yeah, yeah. The area where uh, the T-1000 and the Terminator start shooting at each other and that poor schmuck with the suspenders gets killed in Terminator 2 with the concrete hallway, that's that's all that's going on back there. Um, and he... Now, this um, Rent-A-Cop is like... He's loudly narrating the women getting undressed to Ken Foray, who's like, Ken Foray isn't joining in, but he's not like... Hey man, can you fucking put your dick away and like you're on the clock right now? Like, can do you mind? Um, I'm not paying you <laughs> to ogle. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like the greasy little pervert from Hardware, where it's just like he, you know he's got a cam set up. Um, 
and he uh, goes, uh, he sees something funny on one of the cams and gets called in for it. And uh, he, now this, this actor, by the way, I kind of miss when you could get actors in stuff who look like this security guard who just has like a, like a Bill Murray hairline and he's really sweaty and he looks like the kind of guy that has a copy of Uncle John's bathroom reader. Um, oh, yeah. You don't get this guy in movies anymore. And he goes and investigates. And what happens to him is that he gets rammed into a wall with a forklift and his goddamned eye pops out and lands in the frozen yogurt mix. So good. And then someone's like, oh, Buzz, you put another fake body part in my Froyo. <laughs> yeah, which this is why, you know, don't be prankster guy, because then there's going to be an eyeball on the fro. Although I guess it worked out well because she was like, "Ugh, Jesus Christ, Buzz, and like picks the eyeball out of her yogurt. So I guess that worked out OK. I suppose. But you you think that you'd know. Yeah, you can you can tell when it's a actually I say that I, I, I feel like I feel confident saying that I would identify a real eyeball in my Froyo. I th- I think so. Like maybe you know, put it to the test as a Patreon level. <laughs> like, yeah, if you can fish out like cheap a sheep eye and Froyo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe there's like a matte quality to an eyeball in real life that would that would let you know that it wasn't like a like a Spencer's Gifts goof or something. <laughs> Um, no, they only sell dildos there now. That's it's it's they've wholly pivoted to dildos at Spencer Gifts, um, which like I guess good on them because mm-hmm. you can only sell Dr. Seuss hats for so long. <laughs> You've got to mature at some. You know that was Mr. Spencer looking at himself in the mirror, circa two thousand eight, and being like, "When are you going to get serious, man? When are you going to start <laughs> selling bad dragon dildos?" <laughs> um, so Melody, uh, you know, she, she keeps finding stuff that, uh, Eric, you know, would have given her when he was, uh, still a, a going concern in her life before he, he mysteriously disappeared after that house fire. Like she finds these, uh, these yellow flowers that he would send her. And then uh, she, in the parking lot, finds an extremely eighties purple dress just in her car, uh, waiting for her. Um, which, you know, I think she'd been pining over earlier at the, at the mall. Yeah, yeah, she wants the dress, and then all of a sudden she gets it. And then she finds out that her boyfriend's not dead. He's actually just horribly burned and is now trying to murder people. Yeah, and he also murders... Now, this is one of the most inscrutable parts of this very, very strange movie to me, is uh, Melody's in the parking lot after having found the dress, and she is attacked by a mugger who has, you know, uh, horrible intentions... And, uh, you know, as he's, you know, attacking her, he suddenly gets plugged with a goddamned bow and arrow out of nowhere, <laughs> just shot in the fucking arm with an arrow. And he's like bleeding and screaming. And then um, obviously it was shot by um, Eric, who disappears back into the mall. Later on, you find out that this was the mustachioed, Jeeves looking uh, in-house pianist that works at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. I, that's not a thing, right? Mall pianists? Um, actually, it is. <laughs> oh. There was a time period where there was ambient piano music in malls, and they would have pianists. You know what? I feel like if I'm wolfing a Cinnabon in the food court, I don't want fur release. Like, I don't want... That's not the kind of establishment I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to frequent. Um... But what's incredible is that the the pianist uh, then gets... Okay, Uh, Quincy, do you want to describe how Mustache Mugger gets uh, killed by Eric? 
Uh, I'm a little fuzzy on this one. So, oh, the um, the snake in the the bathroom. Oh yeah, thank you. All you had to say was <laughs> Eric gets a poisonous snake and lets it out through the toilet, and it bites this guy in the crotch. <laughs> a goddamned king cobra that he puts into a pipe that works its way up through like the fucking ghoulies. And then bites this man in the penis, um, who, by the way, it's like the day after he's mugged her, and he's still just, like, going about his job as a pianist, you know, bleeding profusely from the, the shoulder? What is with that? How is he still bleeding? It's so much blood. It's a comical amount of blood just <laughs> gushing out of his shirt. Yeah, he looks like he crushed a cherry pie in his armpit. Like, it's <laughs> it's so much. And this snake just bites him right in the dick. It is... It is the strangest death in this very, very strange movie. Now, we also are introduced to the uh, mall owner's uh, Texas tuxedo-clad fail son, who uh, mostly what he does is skateboard and sexually harass mall employees. Yeah, he's he's a real dirtbag. Um, And he, you know, he sort of looks like a greaser and he's, you know, sort of uh, uh, sleazing around the mall. He is, uh, he's dispatched by Eric by, it's like after hours, and he's doing little skateboard tricks at the foot of an escalator, and Eric swings a rope like a lasso and, like, lariats this dude around the neck and drags him onto the escalator, where his head is then crushed by the escalator. You love to see it. It's just very good. I love, by the way, Quincy, I feel like a lot of horror movies get mileage out of escalators being inherently terrifying. Oh yeah, they do. It's it's free real estate. Why wouldn't you do that? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I'm you know I'm a I'm a grown person, and every time I'm on the escalator, I'm like, is this it? Like, is this is this the time is the this escalator the last time? <laughs> I actually got caught in an escalator when I was a little kid. <gasps> no, tell me about it. Yeah, so I was wearing my um, remember L.A. Street Gear. The, oh yeah, the light up shoes. I was wearing my L.A. Street Gear sandals. And I decided, because I was a child, that I wanted to ride the escalator until it I physically couldn't. And it pushed me off. But instead of pushing me off to safety, uh, it just ate my shoes and I face-planted in front of it. Um, oh my god. It was the only escalator in my small town. It was a... It was a um, a big deal and we would all just go to ride up and down the you know the escalator in the Woolworths or whatever (laughs) I broke it and and melted my shoe in the process because I was you know a child man so so did you so you lost the shoes no the shoes survived for a little bit longer but that was kind of the the nadir of the shoes yeah that's the beginning of the end for those shoes like they don't they're not going to recover from that uh, so easily um i'm my, you know what pour one out for those la la uh, street uh, streetwear uh, shoes they <laughs> <laughs> taken too soon um now, what's incredible also is that so there's another character in this movie that if we're if we're you know sort of looking at this as a phantom of the opera sort of retelling the raul character is played uh, is is a guy named peter who is a journalist yes we meet him at the very beginning because he's writing down good journal boy facts for this opening of the, <laughs> the mall 
Yeah, and he's, you know, sort of, you know, going to get to the bottom of things. I think because he's he's investigating the the arson that preceded this mall mall going up because he knew that there were like screwy circumstances around it. And he starts, you know, sort of interviewing Melody and the two sort of have chemistry, I guess. Yeah, and they they start a relationship. And then uh, Eric being criminally insane because he gets burned, (laughs) which is, I guess, a rule and in cinema i guess um says you you said we'd be together forever i'm taking that seriously you cannot be with this raul (laughs) xp yeah which is also incredible because you know my my guy eric is saying stuff like uh without me you have no life which is like uh i'm i'm sorry you're the one hanging out doing karate moves in your subterranean bachelor pad (laughs) that has like one leather couch and some weightlifting equipment like who's c- come on now who's got the I, I sleep in a racing car like this is <laughs> this is your life down here let's get into this though eric for some fucking reason um getting horribly burned does not only of course turn you uh, uh morally evil it also teaches you how to do some pretty sweet fucking spin kicks he does so many spin kicks in a row <laughs> it's it's baffling yeah he chain kicks is what he does like he'll start he'll do a spin kick and then just kind of like you know what i i'm just gonna go a little hog wild like i might as well do like uh, ken from street fighter sort of flying spin kicks um it it's also wild that this guy has had no medical attention whatsoever despite being partially burned alive Partially burned alive, but what's also, you know, he looks like the Toxic Avenger on one side of his face. Yeah, they have this very weird prosthetic where they're like, okay, burned alive means Toxic Avenger eye. Yeah, which is also incredible when he, at any point in this movie, is like knocked out or his eyes are closed because it's only the one eye that's closed and the other one is just wide fucking open. Because it's like a a ping pong ball with a dot in it. (laughs) Yeah, I realize saying Toxic Avenger Eye um, alienates a large percentage of our audience. Oh, that's you true. You see, kids, there was this guy <laughs> called the Toxic Avenger, and he's got a, a ping pong ball for an eye that's like an inch lower than it's supposed to be. Yeah, he, he looks like his face sort of was left on a, a hot uh, car dash for, for a couple of hours. Um, and yeah, this, this makeup is pretty heinous, but I will actually say... Um, this now a thing that I miss is when you would have a sort of straight to video uh, affair like a uh, Phantom of the Mall colon Eric's Revenge, um, and still you've got fucking fire stunts, you've got explosions, you've got car chases. The car chase in this movie is amazing. Oh my god! So there's a car chase in this movie that takes place in a parking garage, and it's uh, Melody and Peter trying to escape. Um, the, the earringed man who is, is trying to chase them down. Uh, this might be one of the best car chases I've ever seen somehow. It's exemplary. It's, it's the kind of thing you teach in a cinema course for like what to do to do an action sequence. Yeah, you've got cars getting rammed. You've got stunt people getting hit by cars. There's one stunt person in this thing that I desperately want to... F- I, I, I genuinely was searching before this podcast to see if they were okay after this stunt. They, like, they get hit by the car, they roll over on the hood, and just, like, 
flop in midair and just eat shit and land right on their hips. And this is how I know I'm old is because just immediately I could just feel my hips crunching like a bundle of dry spaghetti watching this. Um, it's this this chase scene. And, you know, you get cars flipping and bursting into flames and exploding. And this is not like a mainstream Hollywood release. No, it's actually uh, the opposite of that. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is bargain bin at Walmart territory. But um, now, what's also uh, amazing is the, the if, if you're into the the retro aspect, the shots of the uh, record store in this, like the the Suncoast equivalent. Quincy, did you also sigh fondly when you saw this? Yes, I uh, regularly mourn the passing of Suncoast Video <laughs> specifically. Uh, also, Sam Goodies and and their ilk. Oh yeah, uh, those were the days. Yeah, t- t- honestly, a f- yeah. A for your entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, FYE, don't even worry about it. That was the FYE at Rivergate Mall. I was listen. That was where I got uh, my uh, when I had my when I got my first car, which was a Chevy S10 pickup truck. That was where I got. Um, it only had a tape deck, and the albums I got from that FYE were uh, Megadeth, Rust in Peace, and uh, Lock Up the Wolves by Dio. Um, on cassette, so it's Jesus Christ. I'm a thousand years old. The, the, truly, the intended form. Uh, I recently bought the Death discography on audio cassette because Ooh. I feel like you shouldn't listen to those albums on hi-fi. It has to be muddy, <laughs> garbled audio cassette. Yeah, scream bloody gore was not meant to be heard in like crystal clear digital audio. I feel it's yeah, absolutely not. Um, but you know, you get these other shots of like the, the, the arcade in this and you've, you know, you've got my dude playing altered beast on, on arcade. Um, it's, I also love seeing the space between this and Terminator two, where you get the scene where John Connor's, uh, redheaded mullet friend tries throwing the T-1000 off the scent. Um, Video games really stepped it up between 1989 and, and, uh, and 1992, I think. So what's incredible is that uh, Peter, uh, Peter the journalist, the good boy, tells Melody, you know, because she's recounting everything that happened with Eric and like, listen, you know, I was, we were, all, I was making out with my honey and then everything burst into flames. He threw me to safety and probably died. And I saw a guy with the most uh, obvious earring in the entire world dumping gasoline on it and, and, you know, looking like Andrew Eldritch with the aviators. Um, And Peter says, like, well, there's only one way to know if Eric is really dead. We gotta dig up that grave, baby. (laughs) Uh, And they go... I love it. They exhume Eric's grave uh, and find nothing. I'm wondering if that was just them padding for time and they were like, I don't know, man. Because this movie... Don't even worry about it. It is a tight 90. Yeah, it's it's so merciful. I, I thanked the streaming movie gods when I saw this movie. It was only 90 minutes long, uh, which I don't know what that says. Maybe we've done too many movies in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, listen, after, after doing Hellraiser Revelations, I, I think our the, the, the window has shifted slightly. Here's the question. Uh, do they not check the caskets before they go to the trouble of burying them? Because this happens a lot. I mean, Eric is pretty used to being a subterranean ghoul. Maybe he fooled them all by having a proper burial and then, like, kill build his way up out of the grave or something. You would think that they would be checking the grave. Yeah, you'd think so. But then, I guess, 
there's also you don't get cool exhumation scenes if you uh <laughs> check graves so. yeah cool exhumation scenes with here's the thing if your cemetery doesn't feature a constant rolling fog it ain't shit <laughs> nope it's not <laughs> you need to if you can't manifest that fog yourself you need to get a fog machine for your cemetery and i think that's just base so then we learn that there is a subliminal muzak tr- subplot oh yeah this is uh, so tell me about this i think it's uh, buzz as played by polly shore who who uncovers this yeah he's trying to impress melody's uh friend the the other uh, attractive girl in the movie who I cannot remember her name because it's it's, it's super generic. It doesn't matter. And he's like, listen. And then he plays the audio and he slows it down. And the mall Muzak is saying, I like to shop, buy more things. That dress looks good on you. <laughs> the mall employees are your friends. And it's, you know, you've, which I love that Peter, by the way, who's like, you know, ah, I, I want to uncover the truth and I'm, you know, a journalist. He totally no-sells this to Polly Shore, which I, I think is like, come on, man. Like, this is at least kind of interesting, right? Yeah, he's like, no, that's that, that's all malls in America that do that. <laughs> yeah, he's just made peace with it. Like, whatever, there's no conspiracy, except that, like, listen, man, if Polly Shore uncovered this, like, surely the people have, have a right to know. Like, it's... They, they never really go anywhere with it, with the subliminal messages, but I, I do think that it's, like... Okay, Quincy, here's here's my question to you. Is this movie saying anything about consumerism or capitalism or, like, any of that stuff? Uh, sort of. It's definitely got a we-gotta-keep-the-beaches-open vibe to it. Oh, yeah. Up until the point where the mayor is murdered. <laughs> <laughs> The mayor is murdered, but not after, like, so, at, at, you know, at the very end of this movie, um, it, you know, Eric has gone full JD from Heather's, and there's a huge bomb underneath this mall that's rigged to go off, and um, Melody and Peter go to Mayor Pantsuit, and they're like, this whole place is going to get blown to kingdom come, and she pulls a gun on them, and like, you know, let's talk about this in my office, and then, she, you know... She's like, whatever, I don't give a shit. I don't, I don't believe you. And she's like, got them at gunpoint because she's like, you're, you're not going to ruin this mall gala? What's going on with this mall party? It's, it's just, you know, your quote, good for business, unquote, <laughs> mall party. Uh, this is the only iteration of adult villains I will accept now is like, ah, it's bad for business, produces pearl-handled gun. Like... <laughs> It's incredible. Like they're 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 trying to do something with like, you know, it's not great for politicians and local like business owners to be in cahoots, but it's you know, here's the thing. I don't need the movie Phantom of the Mall colon Eric's Revenge to like get heavy on some politics. Yeah, uh, it, the, you're you're right with that. I I was not looking for anything Shakespearean with this. <laughs> Or Andrew Lloyd Webber- Weberian. <laughs> Weberian. Uh, Trans-Weberian Orchestra. The thing is, uh, this movie also, like, I think this came out the same year as Robert Englund got to play the Phantom of the Opera 
in a movie which that movie is also we have to do that one soon because oh yeah that is a dream sequence within an entire framing <laughs> device yeah it's a fucking it's an altered state like and, and so much of that movie is just robert Englund like doing what if freddy krueger was the phantom of the opera um where he's like cracking little jokes and 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 making making with the yucks while while killing people in a, in a mall setting or not a mall setting an opera setting anyway um you know, I, side note, you kind of have to feel for Robert Englund on a level because on, on, on one on one hand, you're like, you know, listen, Freddie's been very good to you. You can have a whole career doing this thing. But n- anytime that you're in anything else, all I'm thinking about is like, oh, shit, Freddy Krueger is playing a Confederate villain in 2001 Maniacs. Yeah, it really uh, it, it pigeonholed them. Yeah, which is which is a bummer. Which is amazing because he thought that playing Willie the Good Alien on V was gonna be the 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 millstone around his neck, and uh, I guess it goes to show you, like you, you can never tell which uh, thing is going to define your your professional life. So let that be a lesson to us all. Um, we get to the ending of this movie. Um, Eric is uh, fighting the earring goon. This this scene is very, I felt very, when you were a kid and you were playing tag with some shithead who you would tag him and he would be like, um, actually I had my invisible force field on so you didn't tag me and you had to like try to negotiate with this maniac. Um, Eric is about to get his head crushed by like a trash compactor and he manages, uh, by the earring guy, and he manages to put his hands on the, the, the lid of the thing and push it all the way back up, even though it's like a hydraulic press. And then, Yeah, it's it's insane. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's very sort of like, okay, you're just, you can't just, you know, decide that you have super strength in addition to spin kicking. Um, and he puts the guy's head under the thing and you get, in a movie with generally really great, uh, practical effects, the worst decapitation effect I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Uh, so then we get our climax and the mall explodes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is amazing because the climax of the movie is Melody and uh, Eric uh, up in the rafters of the mall and, you know, like those those weird sort of you know supporting structures up in the ceiling of the mall and he is like pursuing her with apparently no plan other than going, <laughs> like grabbing at her like a Scooby Doo villain. I don't know what his I don't know what his end game is here with chasing her across the scaffolding. It's they're gonna be together forever. Oh yeah, that, that, so it's just like I'm gonna find you like up here, and we're just gonna like wait this out while the while the bomb goes off. It's not very smart. This movie. <laughs> Oh no! It has never met. Uh, it has never met a thought, and and God bless it for it. Um, but she manages to get away from him. There is also a death in this movie that is. We've got a fire stunt in the mix. We've got a stunt person. Okay, so uh, Melody uh, gets sort of gets away from him. Eric, um, first of all, lawn darts the mayor out of a window, um, and she just fucking falls to her death and gets impaled on something. And then he uses something called a weed burner. Quincy, is a weed burner a real thing? I I want to say no, but I'm terrified to, to <laughs> check. I don't know enough about things, is what it is. Like, you could tell me that there was an item called a weed burner, and I would just accept it at face value. Um, Eric uses the weed burner to torch the owner of the mall, 
And we get like an extended fire stunt of this guy running and then jumping off of a balcony on fire. He it- lands on a shelf filled with tanks of propane. <laughs> it's Quincy, I think this might be the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> like- <laughs> so the other thing I love is Eric dies in this movie. And the last scene is like a very, very long take of Eric's dead body. And you're waiting for a stinger of his eye to open up or something like that. Right. And it doesn't give you that. It just rolls credit. Yeah, I actually kept waiting. Okay, so I rewound that a few times. I think that eye opens a little bit. I think because you've got the one eye that's always fucking open because that's how burns work. Um, yeah, it, it, I guess that's how <laughs> burns work. Sure. Huh. <laughs> but yeah, you know, so yeah. And, and then roll credits like, oh no, Eric is dead. Probably. Um, this movie, uh, it is not a good movie and I had a great fucking time watching it. Yeah. It, it reminds me a lot of Chopping Mall. So I was wondering to know where you wanted to put it on the list. Chopping Mall is at number 271. <sighs> Oh, see, that's, yeah, that's what we're going to be measuring it against, not least because it took place in the Sherman Oaks Galleria. Um, I want to give the edge to Chopping Mall, I think. Oh, for sure. Just because killer killer robots. And also, I, I feel like Chopping Mall is kind of hashtag iconic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in a way that Phantom of the Mall is not memorable. Oh, uh, yeah. The problem is... Chopping Mall is around some other very good films. Yeah, uh, we've got Ravenous at number 273. Ravenous is definitely better <laughs> than Phantom of the Mall, colon, Eric's Night Revenge. of the Comet is a better teen exploitation movie of the 80s. Oh, man. Yeah, Night of the Comet is... I feel like I'm also giving the edge to that. So looking down the list a little bit, um, if we're going with sort of... Um, sleazy, like, very of-its-time sort of movies. At number 297, or, excuse me, at number 296, we have Hardware uh, from 1990, which is the cyberpunk uh, body horror movie featuring Dylan McDermott and Iggy Pop as a post-apocalyptic radio DJ. You know, like like you do. Like you do. Quincy, I think you're not a huge fan of Hardware, right? I, I like it, I just don't like it as much as some other people do. Uh, yeah. But I would say Hardware is a better movie than Phantom of the Mall. I would totally agree. Um, and, and also because it has sort of a, I, I don't know, this movie is like a perfect slice of late 80s in a way that's almost like Verite, where like Hardware has such a strong like aesthetic sensibility, like this is a crap sack world that knows its onions. You know what I mean? Like it knows exactly what it's about. Now, way down at number 308 is Hands of Steel, which is the cyborg arm wrestling movie. <laughs> that's, oh my god, yeah. I, all right, Quincy, I, I'm, I'm deferring to you on this one. That's the level I think this <laughs> film is at. <laughs> I would agree. I think Hands of Steel is better than uh, The Phantom of the Mall. However, I know where I'm putting my foot down. Um at number 310, we have the Friday the 13th uh, reboot from 2009. A movie that I enjoy a lot, actually. Like, I think it's, I enjoy it a lot more than OG Friday the 13th movies. But I feel like that's not doing anything, you know, 
I don't know, like Friday the 13th 2009 is very of its time with horror reboots and sort of platinum dunes, the house style. Um, and they're just kind of exhausting to watch because of the color palette and because of, you know, the, the time period, where I feel like um, Phantom of the Mall is such a joy to look at for me in a way that, it, like, my brain was a dopamine bath looking at this 1989 mall. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, I think that would be good to put it right um, above Friday the 13th, but below Captain EO, because Michael Jackson in a sci-fi <laughs> short for uh, Epcot, I think. <laughs> yeah, Captain EO is a, a, a cultural uh, curio that I feel like you kind of... Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know how to put that above Captain EO. So I feel good about that. So coming in at our new number, uh, 310 is Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. Um, and, and, and once again, guys, this is on Arrow Video's uh, streaming service. If you get uh, the actual physical copy with the Blu-ray, you get, like, director's commentary. You get a soundtrack on vinyl. Like, it's... Arrow Video is doing the Lord's work. Oh, hard agree. Um, Quincy, where uh, can our listeners find us on the internet? We are on several social media platforms. Uh, we're on Instagram at Rankin Vile, and we're on Twitter at Rankin Vilecast. Yeah, we are. We have a letterboxed at Rankin Vile. Um, I've been leaving shitpost reviews on a lot of movies because this is apparently the grieving process for Tinkerbell Dog has apparently just involved scrolling through letterboxed for movies I hate and then being mean about them. <laughs> so hit us up on letterboxed. Uh, we are uh, just about everywhere you might want to download. Uh, podcasts, guys. Uh, I know it's. Uh, it, it had been. It had been a second. There had been a hiccup in our posting schedule, um, but we thank you guys for sticking with us and for for you know being part of the community. Uh, we have a Discord. Um, if if you're uh, so inclined to to talk with some ghouls on the internet, uh, which I'm reliably informed there are a lot of. Uh, we were also on the Halloween episode of the podcast Rangers Blaine, which is Sid and Ashley talking about Tokusatsu. And uh, we, we went on to talk about um, Psycho Goreman, and that was a real hoot. So definitely check out Ranger's Blaine if you haven't gotten a chance to uh, hear us on that show. Yeah, it was a great fucking time. Definitely check that out. Uh, but barring that, that is about all I've got. You got anything else? Stay spooky. Later, folks. Later, folks.